All right, here we go in three, two, one. What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast, a podcast to promote and improve your practice as an athletic trainer. I've got the incoming NATA president, Dr. Kathy Derringer, always a leader in the profession and also a business owner. And especially right now in COVID and these trying times, things look different and interesting. She's coming into NATA, leading that as just probably one of the more challenging times there can be. Also is Mike Stella, a very vocal social media advocate for athletic trainers, owning your own business, for manual therapy, for just getting better. Uh, he owns his own business. He runs a podcast. And like I said, he's very active on social media. Mike Stella owns Movement Underground. And then Kathy Derringer owns a um, business here in Denton, D&D Sports Med. There you go, D&D Sports Med. All right, so this is Sports Medicine Broadcast sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash capitalist sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash capitalist so I'll have resources to the things we talk about or answers and things like that and ways to get a hold of everybody in the end alright so as we're talking about capitalist economy athletic trainers in the capitalist economy owning your own business things like that let's start off with a working definition so Mike this was kind of your idea what are you thinking as far as defining the capitalist economy and the AT. Again, thanks, Jeremy, for, you know, having us on. And thank you, Dr. Derringer, for joining us as well and having this conversation. And, you know, I think this is a really important topic to consider, you know, for the future of our profession, because, um, you know, the capitalist economy AT, it's really like this idea of entrepreneurism in athletic training and seeking those opportunities and having the ability to go out on your own and put your skill set and services to the public and, and see what shakes out. Um, and I think this is something that when I started my business six years ago that I really didn't have a ton of guidance on. Um, and I, you know, I did the best I could to put the things in place that I thought I needed to put in place to have it be legal and, and have all of those pieces. But, you know, now as we're starting to see kind of, you know, the boom of social media and this ability to have this conversation, I think what's happened since then is really kind of opened my eyes. And, you know, my master's degree is in uh, business administration. You know, so even when I was a, a grad assistant in, in an, a traditional role, you know, I kind of saw the idea that, you know, I, I didn't have a lot of business acumen or really understand economics or the business world. And I felt at that time that I was passionate enough <clears throat> to continue to pursue education in athletic training and sports medicine on my own. But I really wanted to have a little bit more of a, a sound background and just kind of how this fits. And it just makes you ask different questions. You know, what can an athletic trainer do? What is the value of our skill set? And the ultimate measure of that ultimately is the public, you know, is, is will people pay you for your services? Um, and so I think this is a, a, a really good way to measure kind of the health of our profession. And what I've learned in the six years of being in business is that we have a really valuable skill set and people are seeking these services. And, you know, we, I think part of it is just being able to bridge that gap and speak directly to the public. And we all have this amazing ability now via social media to have these conversations and make our services known. And so my kind of, I guess, rise and whatever success I've had so far has been because I've just put it out there, like what I'm doing. And I did that selfishly for my own business. And what's happened since then has completely changed my life um, and my business. And so that's something that, you know, I never intended to be an athletic training advocate. It just kind of happened that way. Um, because now I have a platform and a voice that uh, I can I can use to help other athletic trainers that may be wondering if this is something that they can do. So for me, it's just 
do you have that entrepreneurial spirit? Are you willing to roll those dice and take that chance and stack your skills up in your community and actually make a difference uh, and also be able to get paid what you want to get paid and, and work the schedule that you want to work, which is typically some of the biggest gripes that, you know, our, our members and our, our cohorts and our, and our profession do have, and those are their concerns. And so uh, that's what it means to me is just having that ability to kind of work, live the American dream and start a business and see where it stacks up. What do you think about that, Dr. Danger? I, I completely agree. Um, I, I love that you got a master's in business, business administration. I wish I had done that um, back in the day. Um, my, my master's degree was on the job training when it came to business acumen. Um, but um, I, first, let me back up. Happy Athletic Training Month. Yeah. Uh, thank you for having us during such a critical time when the entire profession is challenged to advocate. And that's, that's why this was an incredible um, topic for me, because this is all about advocacy. Um, I, I became a business owner 17 years ago. And yes, you're right, Mike, there weren't many people who, were, who have been doing this very long. And um, capital, when, you, when I heard the word capitalism, I thought, hmm, I never really thought of this as capitalism. I always thought of it as entrepreneurism, but you're right. Um, we have, we now are in a place in our profession where athletic trainers, and there are many now, and it does my heart good to see so many athletic trainers who have gone out and opened a business and are putting their skill set out there and saying, I'm worth being paid for the services that I'm providing. And we, it's just incredible to see the growth. You, we have a part of our COPA committee now that is dedicated to business practices. So we have a movement even there where we're trying to create resources and toolkits and just a mentoring or a support system to help athletic trainers do that. Um, because you're right, in our educational backgrounds, we don't get much business information. Um, learning how to read a profit and loss statement or learning what taxes I have to pay in terms of having a business. We all had to learn that on our own. So being able to now see that growth in that area, not only in our education, but in helping each other learn how to do that so we can grow this entire facet of athletic training, it's an incredible opportunity for the whole profession. And I'm excited by it. All right. So continuing on that, you said the COPA committee is building up resources, uh, especially now during the pandemic. So I've seen so many athletic trainers. OK, well, I'm going to create an online movement assessment via Skype or whatever it is. Um, they're creating their own business. But where do you feel like we are headed? I think our profession has become so diverse in terms of settings and in terms of opportunities I, I see more and more ATs who, who, especially now during the pandemic, have said, let me give this business thing a try and see if, if people will pay for my services. And I think what we're hearing is a resounding yes. So having more um, opportunities for ATs to, to go, not only from a setting standpoint, but in something like business, I think we will continue to see those opportunities. There's some other things we can do to help. 
for example, helping with reimbursement, helping with recognition of different payers. Um, e even though I, I'm, I'm always going to say this, cash is king, but being able to, Mike is, <laughs> yeah, um, being able to now have patients come in who want to file on insurance just opens the doors even wider for us. So looking at those types of things, we'll have to continue to do that as a profession to provide even more opportunities for ATs who wanna be in these types of settings. I mean, just to jump on, on that too, I mean, <clears throat> I think, you know, obviously 2020 was a trying time for a lot of us. And, and I did speak about this and, and some, when you, when you introduce like me as a fiery guy, it's just funny because obviously I post content that, is not necessarily incendiary, but like that evokes some kind of emotion. And I do that on purpose. Um, <clears throat> but I think what the pandemic did for a lot of athletic trainers is kind of open our eyes to, you know, we all know we're essential. We all know we're healthcare providers, but when, when the poop hit the fan and we all started seeing athletic trainers who had been working at collegiate settings or high school settings being fired and furloughed as soon as sports were not a thing, that to me was kind of like a little bit earth shaking because as a business owner, I made that conscious choice to roll the dice. I didn't have a guarantee that this would work out for me or that I'd make any money doing this, but I made that conscious choice. And when you are working in a traditional role and you're, we feel like we have this layer of protection with institutionalized sports because it's such a juggernaut of an industry. But at the end of the day, because, you know, again, and, and this kind of goes back to even the fact that, you know, athletic training is really founded on altruism. It's not really founded on economics. It's founded on being able to provide the best possible service to an athlete in their time of need and have it be as accessible and affordable as possible. But the problem that we face when we do that is we still have to compete. And, and if we're not competing, then we're not going to get that fair share of the slice. And, and that's going to trickle down into things like job opportunities and salaries and all these other kinds of things. And so I, I just think, you know, I'm always a silver linings guy. You know, when I evaluate an athlete, I'm not telling them what's wrong with them. I'm telling them what the opportunities are to be better. And I try to look at my business and, and our situation as athletic trainers in the same light, which is it opened a lot of people's eyes to this entrepreneurial road and it got people talking about it. And even though it's coming from a place of maybe desperation and, and insecurity and, and fear, at least it's starting to now gain a little bit of momentum. Cause I've been talking about owning a business on social media as an athletic trainer for six years. And there's always that small contingency of ATs who are following that and, and starting to do their own thing and interacting with, you know, me and others online. And now in the last six to 10 months, that number has exploded. My, the amount of inquiries I've gotten on my mentorship page, the amount of inquiries I've gotten on how I set up my business. And to speak to uh, Kathy's point is, this is where we really do need to, as a profession, come together and say, hey, what are the cards that we have to play? And what, are the res what resources can we provide our members in order to do it the right way? and have it be, you know, uh, a, a not only a positive impact in their community, but also a positive impact for the profession. Because I'm earning the money that I wanna earn. I'm working the schedule that I wanna earn. I want everybody to have this ability. And I do feel like that, you know, for a lot of athletic trainers who have hit that dead end in the profession where they don't feel like they're 
you know, they're looking at the other side of the fence and seeing the grass is greener. And, and uh, we tend to lose a lot of ATs to other professions for that reason. And I think this entrepreneurial road is potentially our way to keep people here, to keep good clinicians here and give them an option to, to potentially see a, a brighter future. Mike mentioned his mentorship page has just kind of been blowing up since the pandemic. What does your mentorship guidance business, how do I run my business questions, what does that look like for you? That's been a, um, in my mind, a responsibility that I've had for the last 20 years. When I, when I left the collegiate setting and went in, even into an outpatient clinic setting that was owned by someone else, um, I became a mentor about how to go into a, a private practice. And then when I became a business owner, in my mind, my responsibility as a business owner or just as an athletic trainer in general is to help the people who come after me. So I, I get calls, um, I get emails, I get inquiries on a regular basis from athletic trainers. And, and in fact, I'm um, having conversations with someone right now who wants to do exactly what we're talking about, go out on her own, open a practice, and is, is looking at all the details of setting that practice up. And so to me, it's a responsibility that I think we all have to help the people coming after us um, if we have knowledge that they could benefit from. So yeah, I'm al I've always been available um, to talk to people who have those specific questions or to talk in general. Um, and, and sometimes I point them first to resources on the NATA website because I know of many of the resources that are there kind of gets you thinking about it. But then when it comes down to, okay, now I have this question and that question, absolutely. I'm, gonna, I'm going to respond uh, um, with whatever knowledge I can give them because I want them to have a leg up too. I've been very fortunate in my practice and I think every athletic trainer with, with the warts and with the beauty of having a private practice um, could experience this and, and benefit from it. And it does nothing but elevates the profession in my mind. So let's go, giddy up. All right, Mike, I like that you have a formal process for the mentorship stuff. Um, one of the people that I follow is Pat Flynn, and he does a, a lot with that as well. But he talks about how um, he invested in a business coach. You know, he's paying like tens of thousands of dollars a year. You know, he's making hundreds of thousands of dollars a month. But just paying and investing in that person to, I guess, keep you accountable. Talk to me a little bit more about about what it looks like for you to mentor NAT as they're trying to start their own business. What I do is, you know, I, I give people the ability to kind of schedule a video call with me, but before they even get to that point, you know, there's just basic business 101 that you kind of have to understand. What's an LLC? What's an S corp? What's, what is, you know, tax liability mean? What is all of these different things, right? What, how, what kind of insurance do I need to carry? Do I need professional liability insurance? Do I need, general insurance for my business. And again, a lot of these things vary state to state, um, you know, depending on where you live. Um, and again, then we have to balance that with our state practice acts and make sure that we're kind of lining up with what's currently in place. And so for me in New York, our practice act is 30 years old, you know, so it, it really doesn't even kind of dive into uh, private practice all that much. And so it's kind of a little bit of gray area. 
Um, so <clears throat> what I basically do is like put people on the right track with general business resources to start. Then we can start peeling back the layers to somebody's unique situation. You know, what's your vision? What's your, what is your why? What do you, what's the niche you're trying to fill? Uh, how are you going to market this? How, like, and just start to ask more of like those philosophical or esoterical questions to get them thinking about, okay, there's things you have to do right here, right now, but where you want to be 10 years from now is going to dictate the steps that you take. And so one of the exercises I'll have an athletic trainer do is envision your best life, envision your best business. What does that look like? Imagine it. Money's not a thing. Time's not a thing. What does that look like to you in an ideal scenario? Then we can start working backwards from there to start putting those steps in place. And, you know, in the beginning, it's a lot of the same stuff. It's, it's basic business formation, understanding, oh, I need an accountant. I need a lawyer. What do these things cost? How do I go and seek uh, commercial real estate or, you know, do I sublease from another owner? Do I start it in a gym? These are all questions that a lot of ATs will have early on. And what they don't realize is that they have more resources than they think. You know, that, you know, one of the things that's amazing about athletic trainers, when you look at sports medicine or just the rehab professions as a whole, everybody wants to work with athletes. You know what I mean? It's a really cool thing. And that's, again, part of the reason why I think salaries can tend to be really low is because it's a desirable thing. You know, I've gotten to run out uh, at a Florida Gators football game in front of 100,000 people. I will never forget that. And that experience, it, it plays a role in everything I do on a day-to-day -day basis now. I want that first-class feeling for every athlete that walks through my door, whether they're a pro or a middle school kid. Um, and so – we, we have these connections to athletes, to coaches, to doctors, to therapists, that that network is probably the hardest thing to build as a business owner. And we get it in spades as an athletic trainer because we're so intimately involved at every step of that pro injury rehab process. And so I think leveraging those strengths and understanding that there's a lot more that we have to offer. And just, you know, again, what I try to do is just, help with the X's and O's part because the more information you have, the less scary it is. You know what I mean? I started my business with virtually no capital. You know what I mean? I just started it. I had a table and I had my hands and I had some knowledge and the passion to try to go for it. Um, and then I was, you know, again, however many years later um, I'm working on a second location and these kinds of things. And so um, it's just a matter of identifying where somebody's at in the process and then giving them that, not only the accountability, I think that's a great point, but it's just kind of helping them lay out the plan. And sometimes just having a sounding board and, and somebody to kind of talk through and think out loud with is really just what people need. So I just give people the ability to book that on my website and have time to sit down and chat about their specific situation. And then I follow up, hey, where are you at on getting your LLC formed? Or where are you at on you know acquiring or that business partnership or, or that lease rental or whatever it may be? So. Um, I think it just helps people feel a little bit more confident, you know, going into a doctor's office and negotiating for standing orders and, and doing all these other things. So that's my goal is just to, I learned the hard way. You know, I made a lot of freaking mistakes because I didn't have that, you know, and the first guy through the fence always gets kind of bloodied. And so I'm just happy that I'm in a position now where I can kind of share what I know and, and help other ATs kind of get there a little quicker, maybe and a little bit less expensive. <laughs> Yeah, I like that, Mike. I like 
um, what is your why? And that's often a question that I start with is why do you want to do this? And what's your, what, what do you think is going to happen? Right. Because I think they're in some cases um, need that guidance of putting that together and then just starting with something as simple as a SWOT analysis and a business plan and right. pointing them to the, to those tools so they can really get down on paper what they're thinking. Because um, I think as they get into the details of that, it, it comes out a little more. But you're right. Most of us, most people who start, they don't know what an LLC yeah. is. They need the basics. They need the, they basics. Need the very basics. And right. um, there are some tools out there that give you that information, again, on the NATA website. But um, you have to you have to know that they're even there. Right. Um, I love starting with the why because there are some that know that and there are others that they, they really haven't thought it through. I, I actually one of the drills I like to give, uh, you know, ATs is this idea of starting with core values, like writing out your core values, which is just kind of like a, a list of statements, action statements that kind of defines your why. And so whenever I'm faced with making a business decision, I go back to my core values. Does it align with these values? Because if it doesn't, then I don't do it. If it does, then it's an easy decision. It helps guide that process because the reality is owning a business isn't easy. It's a lot of work. But the other silver lining of being an athletic trainer is I don't think anybody gets in this profession thinking it's going to be 30 hours or 40 hours a week and cupcakes and rainbows. It's not that. And so we're used to working long hours. We're used to working weekends. We're used to grinding in the trenches. And I think if you've got the grit to be a clinical athletic trainer, then you do have the grit to be a business owner, period. You know what I mean? A lot of people get into business and they fail because they just don't know how to do the work. They don't know how to go home and continue to do the work, you know? And, and I told you this on our last podcast, Jeremy, is like, I'd rather work a hundred hours a week for myself than 40 hours a week for somebody else. And that's kind of my why. One of the reasons that I'm so passionate about this and, and pushing young ATs or, or just any AT to consider it to going out as you already have the chops. You just need a little bit of guidance and you just need a little patience and, and, and it'll happen. It can happen. I'm proof. You know, I didn't have anything when I started. So, Dr. Derringer, Mike mentioned the State Practice Act. What do you feel like is the biggest issue athletic trainers face in the State Practice Act? Well, Mike mentioned it. A lot of our practice acts are 20 or 30 years old. It's the same for us here in the state of Texas. And, and when those practice acts were written, athletic trainers were in sports settings. And that's largely the only place we were. So a lot of the language is sport related. It doesn't consider if an athletic trainer were in a clinical or in a hospital or in private practice. Um, but, but again, the NATA has done incredible work analyzing those practice acts and, and identifying the ones that could and sh or should be updated to be more conducive to things like private practice or reimbursement. And, and many states, as, as you've heard over the last few months, have been very successful in doing that. Um, Texas's Practice Act is up to be introduced um, this, this year to update some of the things in there as well. So many states are taking those steps. And so it's about knowing what it is that your Practice Act says and what you can do as a result. 
um, and, and talking to your state association to help make those changes. I think that's our biggest limitation is updating our practice acts so that we, we can easily, easily might not be the right word, but can legally do what we want to do in these new and emerging settings. For me, I am a voluntary member of the NATA. I don't have my BOC, um, so I choose to be, I guess everybody chooses to be a member of the NATA, but part of the reason that I choose is because of things like that. I'm not going to go read all those state practice acts and figure out all this legal stuff, but somebody can, and so I'm choosing to support the NATA because of reasons like that, because of other states that need to update their state practice act, because of the advocacy that they as a national body, or I guess me, us as a national body can do and create. And that's not, you know, I don't want to get off on supporting the NATA versus not, right? Because this is what well, I choose. Okay. And this is why. I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking about the state practice act. One of the big things that I saw recently, uh, Dr. Conan put it out there was standing orders, keep them or trash them. And the comments I saw were from people like Todd Sable saying, yeah, we probably need, we need to trash them. And that's kind of what you're saying here is, you know, updating the State Practice Act. So, Dr. Darren Jollett, you start. Standing orders, keep them, trash them, or other thoughts? Uh, well, um, well, again, we have to go back to our Practice Acts and what, what we are able to do. But are you, you're asking if we should change the Practice Acts? Um, and, I think the the conversation there was like athletic trainers should be able to work autonomously without the uh, standing orders from a physician. I think that was the, the standpoint from, from that message. And so that's where we're going to go with saying, get rid of standing orders. Athletic trainers can just do what athletic trainers do. I'll um, take it first. If you, okay. if you want to, if you want to yeah, chew on it for a bit, Dr. Derringer. So um, yeah, I'll take it first. I'll feel that bad boy first. Cause I feel <laughs> really strongly about this. Um, so going back to practice acts again, just kind of cycling back to the mentorship thing, read the thing. Okay. If you want to start a business in your state, read the practice act, not the abstract, read the document under, you know, you don't have to understand all the legal jargon, but at least do your own due diligence and read the practice act. Okay. I read our New York state practice act and it pissed me off. Honestly, it, it, it made me mad uh, because of how limiting it is. Okay. Again, I operate in some gray area and I'm kind of happy to do that. But, you know, so again, standing orders from a physician. As soon as we put the keys to the safe in the hands of another healthcare provider, they have, we're under their thumb, right? And so, again, when this was founded, having the medical team in place is important. And I don't think standing orders ever will eliminate the need for there to be collaboration between physicians and athletic trainers. It's just not going to happen. And so even when we look at things like the new agreement between the APTA and the NITA, number three says athletic trainers will work under the license or supervision of a physician. That's being under the thumb. That immediately puts a glass ceiling on what we can do as providers, right? If you go get a massage therapy degree in some states, that's one year associate's degree. You can practice autonomously. So why are we doing this with a master's degree minimum? We have the education. You can't stack up athletic training curriculum against the other rehab providers and say that it's worse or that it's not good enough for us to make clinical decisions. And I would argue that how many athletic trainers actually work under the supervision of a physician. It's a collaboration. When I called my state board in New York, 
I spoke to three different people and got three different answers. Um, one of the people, and I don't remember who it was, told me, you can't start a business because you can't hire your boss. Where is it that this physician has to be my boss? And I'm on my third physician that I have standing orders through. I actually have a number of physicians that I work with. Why? Because part of my job as an athletic trainer and what I do with my athletes here is when I don't have the answer for them, I send them to the person that does. And being able to curate a network of providers and send them to the best in my area, or at least people that I can have a conversation with collaboratively for the best possible benefit of that athlete is really important, right? And I don't think, so when we talk about standing orders, the reason I'm on my third doctor is because the first two saw me doing pretty well and they're like, I want a piece because they know, they know that you need it. So they have leverage, right? And so what it happens is again, if we're talking about entrepreneurism in a capitalist market, our ability to compete is, you know, um, is sealed by this idea that we have to work under another provider's license. You know, so now when you're starting a business as an AT, it has to go through, you know, many, there's very few orthopedists who are in private practice now. Most of them, again, at least in my area, I can't speak to, you know, maybe your areas, but most of them work for these giant hospital systems that have HR departments and legal departments and all these things. And so what it does is it creates this situation where now we have to jump through all these other hoops that other providers don't have to in order to offer our services to the public. Right. So in my business, I have to have my athletes declare that they are an athlete because that's the language in the practice act. I have to treat an athlete. So again, the other thing to understand with that, this is a legal document that's up to legal interpretation. And so there is this obviously nuanced kind of thing of who's reading it, how do they interpret it? So again, I put the standing orders in place and have my athletes or my members declare as an athlete, have my physician's orders say that I can treat my members and evaluate and treat as necessary, and then define the circumstances in which a referral is necessary. Advanced imaging, advanced interventions, you know, again, and, and the agreement that I have with this physician is really a win-win because I'm sending him qualified surgical candidates. He's not wasting his time looking at a quad contusion because I can take care of that right here, right now. What I'm sending him is this joint compromised athlete that's going to potentially need a surgery or at least an MRI. And so there are win-wins in this relationship and not having standing orders does not mean you just, you know, drive outside your lane. You know what I mean? I'm able to help people get better staying well within my lane as an athletic trainer in my scope of practice. Um, you don't need, you know, and again, this kind of gets into, can we dry needle? Can all of these other questions start to pop up? It's different in every state, you know, in New York, not even a physical therapist can dry needle um, because we have such a strong acupuncture lobby group here. So all of these things, it's a nuanced discussion, but I believe that when this is my, when I say that the only limits on athletic training are the ones we place there ourselves. This is the one that we're placing there. We're saying we are only good enough under the supervision of a doctor, right? We're saying that. And that's part of the issue, I think, because now it's, if you want to grow, there's a ceiling that you're never going to be able to get past, right? It's unfortunate, but it's, it's the reality of kind of what I believe is painting ourselves into a corner 
um, because it does limit your ability to, again, depending on where you are, um, you know, and I know we're, you know, vying for licensure in some states, but in those states, it's actually easier now to start a business as an athletic trainer that don't have licensure. And I'm not saying that that's good or bad. I'm just saying that because it's not regulated, you have this ability to use your skill set and start a business. Like I had to go through all these other steps in order to get it. And again, I'm at the mercy of my doctor. Thank God I finally found one who believes in what I'm doing and, and sees the value for what it is as just a referral relationship. But there's a lot of doctors who potentially look at that as an opportunity to make some money. You know what I mean? And then it goes back to the, you know, one of the, tri the most traditional roles an athletic trainer is the PT outreach role. Do you have a standing order from a physician to work in that physical therapy clinic? Is, are you considering that physical therapist a doctor? Like, so it's up to interpretation. And so what we see is this idea that athletic trainers can be used as a tool for other providers to make their money. But when do we get to eat is my question. That's the philosophical question that I would pose to people is when do we get to eat? Because by the time everybody else gets paid, now we're looking at 30 grand a year. You know what I mean? So the more ability to, for us to get out into the public and start businesses increases not only the awareness of the profession. Again, when I started my YouTube channel, I did it to grow my business. What happened since then is now people can say, oh, wow, I know what an athletic trainer is, and this person can help me with this injury or this movement-based problem. It's not a completely foreign idea. That wasn't my original goal, but that's kind of the wake that's been left in its in its place. And so, again, I would urge us as a profession to evolve. You know, we have a massive PR problem. You know, we talk about calling me an athletic trainer for 60 years. And where are we with that? Again, I don't know the answer to that, but I pose this question. Um, you know, I think getting us out and showing our value speaks so much more than just talking about it. We all know we're valuable. We all know we have value to provide people. Um, but we have to be able to kind of unshackle ourselves from what is now that we call the traditional roles, right? This even calls into question the whole idea of renaming the profession, which I'm not going to get into right now. But these are the things that we start to have to ask as we, you know, kind of manifest destiny ourselves, right? Rapid expansion. We're trying to make our impact known. And I, I think a lot of other providers start to get this fear that as athletic training scope expands, that it takes away from them. But the reality is you look at chiropractic, chiropractors, I have a lot of good friends that are chiropractors, only 8% of the population's ever seen a chiropractor. So there's so much, so many people out there that need help that dropping 60,000 ATs into that bucket hardly makes a dent. You know, and that's what we need to be advocating, or at least in my opinion, this is my opinion, when we talk to the APTA and these other boards is that we have more to gain from working together than we do from fearing from competing each other. And if that's the case, that's called living in America. Let's compete. The best stuff's going to shake out and it's going to win. You know what I mean? So that's my piece. Dr. And that, that's why I introduced you as fiery right there. Lots of, lots I of am, passion because you I just believe, can't you know, quench it. You just can't quench I it. I can't because, you know, like I'm passionate about this stuff because it means a lot to me as a person because I love athletic training and I wasn't a member for seven years. I stopped paying my dues because I, because it was my civil disobedience because I was so frustrated. And this isn't just me. Like if you speak to our members, when I got hired by rock tape and, 
worked that booth at NATA in New Orleans and had a line of people waiting to talk to me, asking me these questions. They were all saying the same emotions that I felt when I was working 80 hours a week for $29,000 a year in the division one setting with a master's degree, having treated Olympians and professional athletes. Barely, I had to bartend on the weekends to fund my career in order to make athletic training work. And I didn't have the resources to go back to PT school or Cairo school. And I didn't want to, not because I didn't want to do the work, because I didn't want to have to go back and spend another $100,000 plus to do what I'm doing now, just under a different title. You know, that doesn't seem fair for a profession of people who do put in the time, who do pay their dues, who have spent time in the trenches in really difficult collegiate curriculums, you know? Athletic training is not an easy degree to earn. It's a lot of hours. It's a lot of time. In many cases, more hours than some of the other rehab professions are required to get. So again, if we're going to hold ourselves to such a high standard of education and practice, then why are we going to shackle ourselves under the license of another provider? That's Dr. my Derringer, what do you think? I, I definitely see your point. Uh, I think, again, when what we're seeing here is um, the results of a profession that has always worked under the supervision of a physician and practice acts have have always had that and that's why we're still seeing it now should that change i i, I see your point mike i definitely do um but i also understand in in the medical community that the that there are many providers who are working under some kind of standing orders from physicians. And wow, that, that is a huge, huge culture shift for us, as well as for other, I mean, even physical therapists who have a direct access have, many of them do not have true direct access. There are limitations to that with the physician referrals. So I, I, um, I'm going to punt here, truthfully. I don't have a set opinion either way because I haven't, truthfully, I haven't thought of this. I haven't considered your argument as well as the legal arguments that we would have. I, I know, um, I mean, you mentioned the joint principles that we have with the APTA. The language that's in there is because that's what our language is. Um, it's not, I don't see it as handcuffing us. I see that entire document as opening up a number of possibilities of collaboration with the APTA, um, work that's been going on for a number of years. So as we continue to have those kinds of conversations, um, yeah, we, we need to think about things like this that are outside the box for sure, um, but looking at both sides of it. So I, I hear your argument. I need to really think about the ramifications before I form an opinion on should we or shouldn't we. And again, just to, you know, I think that joint principles is a step in the right direction. Instead of suing each other in court and spending millions of dollars, this is a step in the right direction. I just use it as an example sure. because it's kind of like a covert way of saying, here's your place, stay in it. You know what I mean? And if we're really talking about expanding the traditional role that requires evolution and evolution doesn't come without change and it doesn't come without a little bit of struggle or pain. I'm not saying that this is going to be easy, but we have to start to question. And again, I'm not pointing any fingers and I am not on an NATA, NATA committee. I've never served in that capacity before. I consider myself a trenches guy, not a committee guy. 
But the question that I ask is, if we want a different solution, if we want a different answer, we have to ask different questions. Mm-hmm. And just say, and, and like even going and bringing up the whole topic of renaming the profession, you know, search the hashtag athletic training on, on any social media platform. And what you're going to find is personal training stuff. These aren't personal trainers that are saying, oh, I'm just going to call myself an athletic trainer so I get a leg up. They just don't know. And so what happens is now we have this massive PR issue and PR issue that the NATA has been vying for 50 plus years to change. But if we haven't made that impact at this point, we have to evaluate, reevaluate the approach. Um, and I've done it by accident is what I'm saying. Like my advocacy for athletic training happened by accident. And that's just the God's honest truth. I started putting what I was doing out there and people started talking about it and it became a thing. Right. And so again, these are really bold questions, but how are we going to grow if we're not going to be bold? How do we, how do we grow if we don't push the envelope past what we've done before or past what's traditional? I think the most destructive phrase in athletic training is that's the way we've always done it. And I I completely agree with you that um, doing things because we've always done it that way is not the answer. I will, I will, um, I w- and I and asking hard questions. Yes, that's how we grow. That's how we evolve. I would disagree with you that we haven't had an impact with our um, persona, with our brand of athletic training. I think we've had a huge impact over the last few years of really putting our brand out there to the public. Are there still people who confuse us? Absolutely. I, are we are we ever going to solve that problem 100%? I certainly hope so, and and we will keep we will keep keep beating that drum to make sure that our brand is continued to be elevated throughout all of healthcare, um, both in the in the personal training realm, as as we say, but more importantly throughout all of the different areas of healthcare as well. So. The one point you said that I will continue to agree with is it's all about advocacy and it's all about showing our value. And if every athletic trainer would find a way to do that, um, the the issues that we're talking about, long hours, salary, um, not having that work-life balance, all of those things will get better. People like you who are in private practice we need to hear more about that. We need to hear more about people who are elevating themselves by showing their value, by putting their skill set out there and saying, hey, I'm worth this. Because I think that will also help every athletic trainer throughout every setting. So there's, I, I, the NATA is doing incredible work. I also challenge every athletic trainer to look at those things and what can I do to elevate my value, even, if, even in my secondary school setting or in my collegiate setting and looking for jobs that aren't paying 30,000 a year for a hundred hours a week because they they're out there or as you've done, as I've done, create your own, create a path where you can have autonomy. um, You can have some financial independence and you can have a say in what's going on in, in your professional life. There are opportunities out there. There are also obstacles. I prefer Absolutely. the opportunity. Sure, sure. So let's look for that and, and make it happen for every athletic trainer who wants to do that. 
for the record, I, I really respect and admire your your response to the the former, which is to punt on that and because you need to form and think about it and ponder it. And part of the reason I voted for you for NATA president is because you are an entrepreneur and you have been leading from the front. And I think that mindset and that viewpoint is what we sorely need. Um, and again, I don't think we need to have all the answers right now. And I also don't want to make it sound like I'm discrediting what the NATA has done. Um, it's just from where I sit, it, and a lot of athletic trainers and our members will feel this way. And for the record, I am an NATA member now. Um, you know, when I, I, uh, when I did work, so when I got the instructor job with rock tape and I went to NATA and at that point, my social media had been growing. There was a line of ATs at the booth and waiting to talk to me. And I didn't even realize at that point, like you see the followers on the screen, but you don't realize that that is a person and that, I was creating manual therapy and sports medicine content and training content. And that what it had happened was that it resonated with these athletic trainers in an entirely different way than I had intended it to. And I had never planned on being an AT advocate at all. That wasn't my intention. It wasn't, but talking to them and hearing their stories and seeing how my freaking YouTube video inspired them to start a business or to get into athletic training or to stay in athletic training. It really inspired me. And even though I don't necessarily agree with some of the approach, I understand that it is my uh, obligation and it is my responsibility to, to continue to be the voice for those who can't speak or don't speak um, and ask the hard questions and be demonstrative and be controversial in ways because this is how we grow. And I just wanted to say for the record that I, I admire that because it's, it's a completely different perspective of what we've been so ingrained to think and do for the entire genesis of what we, of, of our profession. But I do think that if we want to have staying power and if we do truly want to see things like salaries improve and work-life balance get better, then we have to create demand that's not, that isn't currently there, right? Um, and giving people options to make more money in private businesses will, will force these institutions that do have the resources to pay that don't, that don't. And that's because when everybody's doing the same thing, everybody's paying the same amount, how does it get better? You know, and I've invested a lot of money in my own education beyond, you know, didactic or academic settings, continuing education. And that's one of the things I urge athletic trainers to do. I know you don't have a lot of money, but the money you have invest it in yourself. Don't be afraid to take that course. Don't be afraid to do that mentorship. Don't be afraid to think outside the box because those are the things that help show your value and, and infuse you into the community in which you're trying to make an impact. All right, let's see if we can get some uh, some of these other questions. I think you already mentioned this because you said it's part of what a capitalist AT means, but access to insurance billing, does it help hurt or and why? Does it help or hurt and why? I think it helps. Um, I think CMS recognition, whether you want to treat Medicare patients or not, will help us because it's it's a sign of credibility. Um, I think reimbursement, being able to bill insurance companies, you, I, I'm sure Mike can probably speak to this, that yes, you have people who coming in who want to do cash pay, but 
do you lose some patients because they want to bill on insurance and they and you can't do that so it will help us from a credibility standpoint it will help us from a salary standpoint and from a work-life balance standpoint if you're a secondary school athletic trainer and you don't want to bill for your services that's okay nobody's okay. saying you have to but if i want to i should be able to if i'm in a clinical setting that's all we're saying so but it has to be all it has to be all or none Right. I, I totally agree with you. I think when you look at the statistics of like, I think it's now 37% of high schools employ an athletic trainer. You know, if we want to increase our, our salary and what we can earn, we have to increase our demand. And a lot of districts simply don't employ one because they can't afford it. And though for those districts and schools who can't afford it, having access to third party payers makes it a viable cost benefit relationship, meaning that now that AT room is a revenue generator for the institution, which means it can cover things like supplies and salaries and travel and per diem and, and, you know, reimbursement for education and all of these things that we want to see. Then all of a sudden more high school jobs open up. We need more athletic trainers and we start to see this whole relationship between supply and demand. Listen, the reality is, is the insurance model is a broken system. But it is the system that we have. It's the system that this U.S. healthcare system uses. And if we, we can't be on the outside looking in, in my opinion, anymore, we have to have access to third-party payers just like any other provider. And again, this is going back to even evaluating the whole standing orders and, you know, oh, you have to bill through your physician and all of these things that complicate the process and make it more expensive. But at, as it stands right now, athletic training is an expense item on a budget which is why everybody was fired and furloughed for COVID. Why are PT and Cairo valued higher than us? They generate revenue. Exactly. I, don't, I don't think it's a skill set thing because most of my athletes will pay me my rate and not ask any question because I get them the results that they're looking for and they'll pay for that. It would be wonderful to be able to give them a super bill and have them get something back. Cash is king. Kathy, you're hundred percent right. I would, even if insurance was available to me, I probably still wouldn't do it at this point, but I think it becomes a catalyst for a lot of the changes that we want to see for our profession. David Gallegos from the Innovate AT Facebook group. He said, capitalism naturally balances supply and demand. So you just said that the supply and the demand. So if all these ATs are starting their own business, if you know, if we get into the capitalist market, how does that effect is there are there too many ats are there not enough ats what do you think dr derringer how does supply and demand affect is it is it affected by the movement towards capitalism well it's basic economics if you can't if you want to hire an athletic trainer and they're not available because they've gone into other settings you're going to have to pay more so i i would agree that supply and demand is going to have a big a big impact on what we're doing in terms of salaries and in terms of availability, it's um, and being able to see athletic trainers go into that private area and make more money. So I completely agree with what Mike says. If we were rev revenue generating, it's a not it's a no brainer. Basic economics, our salaries will go up. So now, what? How does that impact the secondary school AT? Well, if I'm a secondary school AT and I'm making forty grand. And I look over at all these ATs and hospitals and clinics and they're making 70. What do you think I'm going to do? 
on and your own. eventually those salaries will have to come up in order for high schools to have those ATs on site. It's basic economics. And we, we will, we are beginning to think in those terms that if we think about capitalism, supply and demand, revenue generating, it will impact the entire profession positively. I, I 100% agree. And again, I, I've gotten into Twitter arguments with people because because it's Twitter and people will find a reason to argue on the Internet. But, oh, but it's a broken system and I don't want to be, you know, does it create this profiteering thing? And uh, does it create a system where now you're just doing it for the money like some of the other providers are now? You know, again, it's it that is a personal decision. Are you going to sell out and just be a a mill to make as much reimbursement as possible, or are you going to do it for the reason that it's intended, which is to get some reimbursement for your time and to allow people to use the insurance benefit that they have and that they pay for. And so it doesn't devalue our services. What it does is it expands the ability for access. So Toki created the joint dislocation simulator. He's been watching live and commenting lots on the, on the Facebook group. So if you want, if you, guys have a chance, you can comment on that afterwards, maybe answer some of his questions, something like that. But sure. Carrie Meyer from the Innovate AT group says that does the ATs engaging in capitalism increase health disparities if the focus is on profit? You know, there are bad actors in every profession. And you will have some athletic trainers, as, as Mike said, who are more focused on the profit than on healthcare. But as a whole, as a profession, I think we are all in it to take care of our patients that because we care about them getting better. Um, in my business, I tell my, I tell my clinicians this all the time. My job is to make your job easier, but it's also to keep the lights on. So we have to talk about basic billing techniques and how we're going to see patients to make it the most conducive for, to be positive both for the patient, that's our number one goal, is good patient outcomes, but also to benefit the business. So I think you can do both. You can do great patient care and still make a profit. And if you're, and actually I believe that if we're able to file on insurance, then health disparities are, are less likely to happen because everybody has access at that point and not just a select group of people. So um, again, I go back to ethics is ethics. And if, if we, we hope and pray that every athletic trainer will be ethical, if we all got reimbursement, I think, I think the vast majority will, will every single one of them likely not. Right. Likely not. right. But we do it's what we can to, to make that more, a more conducive environment for that to happen. Like like Dr. Darren just said, it, it, there's good there's good eggs and bad eggs in every profession. I think we hear about the bad eggs more often because it makes the news. You know, like look at physicians over prescribing opioid painkillers and look at what it's done to the economy and the health of of the country. And we, and again, a physician is this godly profession that we put up on a pedestal, the MD. And there are still MDs who, despite making six figure salaries and having all the resources, that will do the wrong thing because of that extra that they can get. And, you know, now we're seeing, finally seeing some, uh, some recourse for these pharmaceutical companies and for these doctors for doing the wrong thing. Um, I don't think it limits the good eggs from doing a better job. 
it, it actually, again, it's, but what about the athletes that don't have insurance? Then fine. Then you treat them altruistically, but at least the, the kids who do don't take a copay. So it's free to them out of their pocket, but at least there's some revenue coming in. Revenue keeps the lights on revenue, pays the salaries, revenue, pays the taxes, revenue pays for the supplies, all of it. You know, it's, it's at the end of the day, athletic training again was founded in altruism but at the but we still need to compete we still need to get paid and i think what would happen is like we said this is all intertwined and nuanced the demand for ats goes up there's more jobs available we start to there's more revenue coming in we start to see these salaries climb up we start to see a better matriculation of athletic training students staying in the profession Right. To me, looking at athletic training students who graduate with an athletic training degree that go to another profession tells you everything you need to know about the health of our profession. Yeah. And, and you know I, I will mean? say that this isn't going to be a slam dunk. There are a no. lot of things that right. we have to learn about third party reimbursement. Um, there are situations where you can't waive the copay if I have right. a contract with a right. payer. So exactly. understanding how to document, understanding the whole system, um, there's there's a great deal. We're horrible documenters for the most part and as, a, as an entire profession. So there are things that we're going to have to get better at um, before any of this happens. I'm excited about starting to have the conversations. Um, the third party reimbursement project that's being run by Joe Green, he's doing an incredible job. Um, and we will continue to support that project as it goes across the country. There's work to be done that will make us better. All right. So in a similar line there, Kendall Selsky said, what is happening in AT that should make prospective students consider AT as a career? So just like Mike was working hundred hours for 30 grand, having to work two jobs just to, just to work the one, what are you seeing that's changing that will keep us here? oh my God, we're having this conversation that we never would have had <laughs> 10 years ago, certainly Absolutely. not 20 years ago. Um, I, I mentioned at the, t at the top that um, 20 years ago, I, I can remember giving a business of athletic training um, presentation across the country and we had maybe 10 or 15 people in the room at the most. And now we have all of these entrepreneurs who are out there and are beating the drum and saying, it can be better. So that's one of the things. I also think about the legislative um, advancements that we've had, the Sports Medicine Licensure Clarity Act. We passed a bill as an organization. We are fighting for rights in every state. Uh, we're going to get California licensed. I feel that in my bones. And we will work toward um, CMS recognition and third-party reimbursement. We are working toward eliminating um, diversity issues in our organization and in our patient population. There are so many things that are going on in the profession that's just going to make things better, um, but be a part of it. Um, thank you, Mike, for joining again. Thank you, Jeremy, for being a member. Um, we, we can do this together, but learn how to advocate for yourself, learn how to show your value. Yeah. I mean, again, I think you, I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, there's more change and more buzz and more conversations happening in the last three to five years. than in the last, you know, again, I've been an athletic trainer for about 15, so it's exciting. Um, and, and for me personally, it's exciting that in some small way I've been able to maybe contribute to that. 
um, or to show people that there's another way or to show people that they can live their best life and do, cause again, nobody gets into this because they don't love it. We all love it. But at the end of the day, people leave for a variety of reasons, families, pressures, making more money, doing these things. And, you know, there's lots of problems, but there's also so much upside. There's so much upside. If you want to work with athletes, there is no better career than athletic training to be in the trenches and actually work with athletes. We just have to get to the point where that, where that shakes out as uh, you know, positive for us and not just the other providers. Um, I, I think if we can, and we're on the right track and I think Dr. Derringer coming in and taking the helm at a critical time for our profession um, and having an entrepreneurial spirit and having that experience is really exciting. I think for me and for a lot of ATs who are, are beginning to take this jump into kind of the entrepreneurism side of it. So um, again, I, you know, it's the conversations like this that get me excited and make me, you know, want to push harder and push forward and, um, and to look back and look at all the ATs supporting it. it it's just really, really cool. And we are better together. A hundred percent. We have to advocate for ourselves. Um, be the change that you want to see. Don't just talk about it. Be about it. Every time you complain about your salary or your work hours and you talk about that to other people, you're a reflection of us all. And that's going to be the attitude that people have when they think about an athletic trainer. We have to advocate. We have to focus on the upside and the positives and the things that we can do well and, and the lives that we do change and make that impact felt and, and just continue to do it for the right reasons. And I think good stuff will happen. All right. Last one. Okay, here's a hypothetical scenario. You're an AT in a traditional setting, so sports setting. You're going to start a business this year, AT-oriented. You, you know, whatever it is that you see as an athletic trainer could, should, would be doing. And it can't be what you're, what you're doing right now. So, Mike, it couldn't be the exact same thing. Or Dr. Derringer, it couldn't be the exact same thing. You're going to start a business as an athletic trainer. What's it going to be? Uh, I mean, I guess I'll start that first. I'm already starting another business. Uh, I'm actually going to launch a product this year. I'm not at liberty to say exactly what it is, but it's going to be very conducive to, or co it's going to be very amalgamous to what I do in clinical practice. Um, you know, I, I have an education business too. And I think like, again, if, if you really want to start diving into this idea of entrepreneurship, there's so many great business resources out there that don't have anything to do with athletic training, but absolutely apply. You know, Warren Buffett said, you know, if you want to really make money, you have to have multiple revenue streams. You can't just rely on one thing. You have to have two or three revenue streams to come in because what happens if a coronavirus pandemic happens and all of a sudden that traditional job goes away, you know, and, and, and even as a business owner, and I, I was closed for five months, five and a half months. Um, it really makes you think, and I am so grateful for rock tape. I'm so grateful that I was inspired as a teacher and as an educator to go out and produce my own educational content that I had another way to earn income beyond just what I do in the clinic on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, so I would say if you're any athletic trainer, if you want to start a business, regardless if it's a clinic business, a product, an education service, what problem are you trying to solve? What, what pain point do people have, whether that's other athletic trainers, right? hence my course end of the ice age, like a looking at acute care from a more modern perspective. I see this as a pain point for athletic trainers specifically, but as in healthcare as a whole, these outdated acute care practices, let's look at this a different way. And I, that was my way of filling a niche 
and filling a need that I, that I saw. So again, it's just a matter of kind of, I call it the meta position, taking that step back from yourself and evaluating the problems that you have in your day to day. What could you do to fill and solve that problem for somebody? Um, and, and I think what you then come up with is probably a decent business idea. Yeah. So I think that question is a little bit generational because if I were, if I were going to open another business right now, it would probably be a consulting business. Um, you should. Just because of where I am in my career as a young athletic trainer, I agree with Mike. There's so many options there in terms of education, product development, providing rehab or um, performance enhancement, depending on your background, um, but or contracting services, depending on where you live and, and what's available out there. Um, probably what I see the most is people who are trying to do contracting services and, and providing athletic trainers for those events. Uh, it's a place to start if, again, if you have the relationships. And as you've heard us say today, a lot of what we do is all about relationships. Um, but where to start? Start reaching out to mentors and learning the basics that we talked about early in the podcast that you have to know in order to protect yourself as you're launching whatever that business venture is. All right. I want to encourage you two, Kathy and Mike, to hop on the Facebook at some point and because there were some comments specifically for you, Mike and Kathy. And so just to answer those questions or engage with those listeners for sure. there as well. Yeah. Um, Dr. Derringer, the very best way to get a hold of you. Um, email the K I D I E R at D D sports com. All right. And she's also on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook as well. And, if you didn't catch the podcast we did with Dr. Derringer and uh, Dr. Or, or Katie about the election, the one with candidate T was really funny. I know it's irrelevant now, but the answers are fun and funny and check those out. Yeah. All right, Mike, best way to get a hold of you. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty easy to find. Uh, you know, I give everybody my email, my phone number. You can text me if you want. Um, but obviously I'm extremely active on Instagram and Twitter. You can DM me there at Mike Stella underscore ATC. Um, you can go to my, I have a personal brand website, MikeStellaMovement.com, where you can interact with me through that platform. Um, and that has my education stuff. It has my clinic stuff. It has my advocacy stuff on there. Um, and then you could also go to my business page, the movement underground.com. Uh, if you're more interested in kind of my business, what it looks like from like at least a client facing perspective. Um, but any way you want to reach out to me, I'm, I'm here and available. And I, like I said, I do offer mentorship um, to, to any healthcare provider. It's not even and it's, and it's clinical mentorships and business mentorships. So depending on what you're really looking for, um, career development, those kinds of things. Again, I don't have all the answers, but um, I'm happy to share what I do know and the resources that I've taken advantage of over the years. Um, but again, just a quick, another quick thank you to, to Dr. Derringer. I really appreciate the dialogue and, and, and these are the types of things that I think move us forward. Um, and it's, it's just exciting. I'm excited to see your tenure happen and unfold. And if there's any value that I can provide, uh, please don't hesitate to ask. I'd be happy to help. Writing it down. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. I appreciate that. Looking forward to um, taking the helm in June. Yes. It is that time of year for CEU. Sophia is actually taking the Rock Floss course. So she's signing up like next week or so. I'm, I was actually going to take Mike's End of Ice Age course, but I don't know if you're following on Instagram, you saw that I actually won the course last week. <laughs> and so that was really cool. I mean, I guess it's good for me. It means Mike doesn't get the money, but so now I get to take the course for free, but instead I'm going to take the Rock Pods course. 
because cool. we want to invest in ourselves and we want to learn those skills and those small things. And plus our district won't let us attend any like live events and, re- and pay, us for, pay for it. So, you know, it is what it is, but I'm excited about those. Um, and I just, I'm really been wanting to take that course from Mike since uh, he first announced it. And I know I'm pretty sure Tanya Watson, who was on with me earlier this week has taken it. So I'm excited about those and uh, you know, check them out, learn those skills, take the time, especially since NATA is virtual this year. Um, you know, choose, choose what you're doing. You're going to have to learn everything virtually anyways. I appreciate the plug, Jeremy. And just so everybody knows, I am a BOC approved provider. There you go. So there is C- category A CEUs up for grabs with that as well. Shameless plug. Dr. Derringer, <laughs> you mentioned multiple times NATA website. So like at your own risk or, you know, any of the things that there with the NATA, what do you think is your favorite resource for athletic trainers, capitalism that is not the NATA website? Uh, me? No. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, Good I, one. I, not me in particular, but a persona that has been through it. I would say if you're, you're not on the NATA website, it would be someone like me or Mike who has been down that path because as he said, and I, I completely agree. I did the same thing. We made mistakes and we learned from our mistakes and, but we can help others avoid those mistakes as we're, as you're moving forward. So um, reach out to someone who's walked the path already and, and use them as a knowledge base. Mike, you got any single other than there's so many amazing business resources. I think, I think if you say, you know, if you, if you're thinking about starting, I would start with the e-myth. There's a book, um, the entrepreneurial myth. It kind of talks about this, you know, again, from a very 30,000 foot view, this idea of entrepreneurism and what the difference between being an entrepreneur is being a manager and being a technician. Um, and I think we all are really good technicians. Um, but we, where we struggle is taking that step to managerial, managerial level work and entrepreneur level work. Um, Cause there is a difference. And, you know, when you create, when you create your own business and it's just you, you're really just creating a job. You know, it's not a business until you're starting to employ other people and start to replace yourself. Um, and, and I'm really happy to be at that point now. And it's taken me five years to get there. But I employ an athletic trainer and he's excellent. And grooming young clinicians and showing them this path um, is really exciting for me. And I think uh, a lot of it just started with, um, you know, some basic business resources like the E-Myth. Again, there's so many social accounts that talk about fitness business, PT business. There's so many correlations there. And honestly, I'm a part of some physical therapy entrepreneurship pages. And, and it's always really cool to see how positively those members interact with me. You know what I mean? And see the value in what I'm doing and want to co- collaborate and contribute and welcome me into that profession or, or into that discussion. And so, again, I think when you put yourself out there with a whole, full heart, good things can happen. And, and we just have to be able to take that step. Um, and, I, I, and again, like I said, any business resource um, Gary V, if you really look for the motivation, the marketing, the social media stuff, again, a huge impact on me starting the whole social media thing and our ability to communicate with each other and digest content and again, follow the right stuff. But, um, you know, if it, it should be giving you some value, but I think there's so many things out there that you can sink your teeth into. Um, but yeah. All right. Sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash capitalist. Again, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash capitalist. That'll have the links to the contacts that 
they mentioned. So for Jeremy, Mike, Stella, Dr. Kathy Derringer, the incoming president of NATA for National Athletic Training Month, and finding your own way to make athletic training work for you, that is a wrap.